0: Pirate Wire Radio Frontlines Indie Journalism as part of Pirate Wire Services
1: Frontline Indie Journalism from the Global South to you
0: Pirate Wire Radio
1: Transmission initiating in 3 2 One, piracy commencing.
2: Pirate Wire Radio. Hello, and welcome back to Pirate Wire Radio. I am Joshua Collins, and this week we are talking about the second round of presidential elections in Colombia. If you joined us last week, you already knew a bit about the race, but don't worry. If you're new to the subject, we're going to do some quick explainers as well. Dark Horse candidate Rodolfo Hernandez made a surprisingly strong showing in the first round and now stands a very real chance of winning, although the race remains close. The ex-mayor of Bucaramanga, a moderate-sized town here in Colombia, is running a principally anti-corruption campaign um, from a populist perspective. Most of the campaign was ostensibly right-wing, though he seems to have pivoted as the campaign went on, particularly in the days just before and just after the first round of elections. This has left a lot of Latin America watchers a bit surprised. I feel like the impression on social media has been, who the f*** is Rodolfo Hernandez? (laughs) Well, we're going to break that down for you, and a whole lot more. So to understand why the results were so surprising, we need to explain just a little bit about Colombia's past. Colombia has never had a left-wing president in its history as a country. And for the last 24 years, it's been dominated by a political philosophy from the hard right that is called Urubismo. This political philosophy is named after and led by former president Alvaro Urube, who During his time as president, had extremely high approval ratings, uh, running tough-hand approach against rebels during the Civil War, and a lot of neoliberal economic policies. Now, he has also appointed the last two presidents, Santos and Duque. Duque is the current president. A lot of Urabistas consider the peace accord of 2016, which was pushed through Congress by Santos, to be a betrayal of Urabista principles as well as a betrayal of Colombia. That was when they signed the peace deal with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, more commonly referred to as the FARC ending a more than 52-year civil war, the longest civil war in Latin America. Their candidate was supported in this election by Federico Gutiérrez, who was not officially part of their party, which is called Centro Democrático, but endorsed their ideas and the general philosophy and had close contacts with that party. Urbismo right now has abysmal approval ratings. So they... We're trying to sort of endorse another party to carry on their legacy. That failed. Gutierrez was eliminated from the first round of presidential elections. So we're left now with Petro Gustavo, a leftist and former member of M19, which was a rebel group. He is the ex mayor of Bogota and a current senator running a leftist campaign. And the outsider candidacy of Rodolfo Hernandez, um, who, as we mentioned in the intro, is a bit of a political chameleon. His positions have changed on a lot of issues very quickly. He was anti-peace before he was pro-peace. He was anti-fracking, then pro-fracking, then anti-fracking again, and In the beginning of the campaign, he endorsed a lot of war on drugs, kind of firm-hand strategies against coca production, such as aerial fumigation, tougher prison sentences. He even proposed at one point building giant open-air prisons where narco-traffickers would be placed. He has since changed all of those positions and is now running on what seems to be almost a center-leftist campaign. His only main theme that seems to run through all of his proposals is that he is or claims to be extremely anti-corruption. It's interesting because he's actually being investigated for three different cases of corruption, one of which involves allegedly taking a $1.5 million bribe for a construction contract while mayor of Bugaramanga. But I digress. To explain where we stand right now, we reached out to Dr. Olga González. She is a sociologist, an investigator, and a political analyst on events here in Colombia.
1: Bueno, el panorama electoral cambió the electoral panorama changed completely on sunday three electoral philosophies faced off the campaign of gustavo petro a leftist or center leftist depending on how you view him the second is the campaign of rodolfo hernandez who represents an outsider campaign and the third was federico gutierrez who represented the philosophy of current president Duque, who came in third and well you can't say that the right was completely eliminated but Popular will clearly rejected the hard right philosophy of the current administration. The results, however, don't leave much room for Petro to grow. This is Colombia and anything could happen, but right now, just looking at the numbers and considering where the voters who didn't vote for Petro might end up, it looks like Rodolfo has the best chance of winning.
2: Since the surprise victory of Hernandez in the first round, a lot of media attention has been focused on his campaign and what he might do as president. And since a lot of his positions seem fluid, and since he doesn't seem to fear policy reversals, we reached out to Will Freeman, who is an academic journalist who spent some time as part of his anti-corruption studies talking with the Rodolfo campaign last year.
0: And this is what he had to say.
3: There are two issues that for him clearly rise above the rest. Those are anti-corruption one. And on that issue, I would say that he has a very good understanding of how corruption works in Colombia. Um, so just as an aside here, like when I asked him, how do you think corruption works in Colombia? He went and he dove deep into how public contractors work with regional, you know, political machines all over the country to steal money from overvalued public contracts. And I, you know, I think that that's like a much better description of how, of like actually what the problem of corruption is than like, you know, someone like Fajardo will tend to offer like, oh, it's a problem of culture and we need education. Like For
2: those who may not be familiar, Fajardo was a centrist candidate who was eliminated in the first round after receiving about 4% of the vote.
3: Um, Rolfo actually understands how corruption works in, in Colombia and at least like rhetorically he puts a lot of emphasis on fighting it. He, whether he has a plan to actually fight it like that's another question he's been pretty vague about that. Um, just saying that he'd demand more results at the judiciary. Uh, and then the second big issue I think he cares about are basically the issue of poverty and inequality. Um, that comes up in his, in his rhetoric all the time and I don't think you can just say he's like Paying lip service or something, and in fact, the 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 very recent, like the the moment he decided to run for alcalde of Bucaramanga, uh, so he like he went to his brother, um, to, who's like a close confidant to Tacubaya. Like, he's like, oh, I want to run for uh, alcalde, and the brother was like, you have to go to like if you're going to do this, I'll support you, but only if you take a trip through uh, the north of Bucaramanga, which is um, a lot poorer than the rest of the city, and it's a part of the city Rodolfo had never been to before. Um, and uh, apparently it was just like a very like emotionally impactful experience for him. And ever since then, he's put a lot of emphasis on the issues of hunger and poverty in Colombia. Again, like, I don't know if he has such a clear plan to uh, to tackle those issues, but they, I think that those two, corruption and inequality and poverty, are really the, the, um, the main issues he cares about.
2: Fajardo's campaign, however, has had a series of missteps and controversies. The candidate claimed a few weeks ago that Venezuelan migrants who come here bring sexual disease and poverty and that the women only want to have babies. These claims are untrue. Um, He's also been criticized for statements that say that society would be better if women were free to spend more time in the home and work in kitchens. He was also criticized for saying that women don't belong in politics. Uh, since those controversies, he has stated that his cabinet will be primarily women and will be LGBT inclusive. Uh, we trust his his statements. Um, he seems to have reversed on those issues. But whether we can trust a candidate with so many reversals is another question entirely. Ridolfo has in the past also claimed that the very alliances that politicians need to forge to govern properly are the source of some of the corruption that he wants to fight
3: Uh, The kind of ironic thing that I I imagine very few people will pick up on is I think Petro would be much, uh, a much better president at navigating the legislature and building coalitions than Rodolfo would be, even though Rodolfo might seem like he's ideologically closer to a lot of the parties in legislature. And I think that's because Rodolfo, uh, like one of the most consistent things he says is that he thinks alliances in politics, even alliances that aren't like uh, a product of you know, trading money or uh, like posts in the government—that those just alliances, where you where you give any kind of favor to the person who's supporting you, are a form of corruption. And um, you know, like on the one hand, you could think, oh, that's just like a nice talking point, um, you know, to seem like he's this like total outsider and like a complete purist. But like, look at how he's run the campaign up until now, right? Who are his allies? Like, he just forged this alliance with uh, Ingrid Mentecourt but um, you know not clearly <laughs> I don't think she had like any support to bring him even so he's not getting that much from it. Um, I think this is a guy who really believes that like most types of alliances and transactions in Colombian politics are just another expression of corruption so I think he could very easily just like um find himself opposed by the legislature and then just like go on TikTok and on tv all day and like scream about how they're all like uh, a den of thieves i mean he said he said that 80 percent of politicians in uh, colombia are ladrones right so um yeah i think he would have like, even more conflict with the legislature maybe than than petro but that's just a conjecture
2: because he was an underdog candidate for most of the campaign rodolfo has managed to avoid a lot of media scrutiny up until now And as that changes, he seems to be realizing that he doesn't have the answers for some of the questions that he's being asked. And as part of that, he seems to be rethinking this idea of alliances. Um, This week, he reached out to Fajardo, who we mentioned earlier, the centrist candidate who was eliminated, as one of those potential campaigns. Dr. Gonzalez explained a bit why that might be happening.
1: Rodolfo Hernández um, knows. One could he's say he's even obsessed with reducing government spending and ending corruption. But he isn't someone who's familiar with statesmanship. He doesn't know much about international relations or feminist movements, for example, or mining or environmental issues. To summarize, he isn't familiar with a lot of subjects that are critical to governance in Colombia. But he says he knows how to manage. He knows knows how to appoint people to handle these things, and maybe that could work, but it has its limits. What we're seeing now is that Rodolfo is making gestures to other politicians that win the race. He seems to be seeking to build alliances. He's reached out to Centro de Esperanza and Sergio Fajardo, as well as other campaigns. There is a mutual need between the two groups. Rodolfo needs people who understand these topics he isn't familiar with and who've operated on a national stage. And these candidates who did poorly in the elections are looking to form relations with the next government in order to implement their agendas. And the other dynamic is that right-wing forces, as well as those politicians and pundits who represent Uribismo, hate Petro. They believe him to be a communist and a guerrilla and are willing to support anyone who opposes him.
2: Rodolfo seems to be learning that campaigning and actually governing are different things and modifying his campaign based on newfound media attention on some of his more controversial statements. Another issue that has arisen recently that is causing worries among some observers is the proclivity of Rodolfo to admire people who be considered strongmen. His campaign advisor is the same one that got Najib Bukele, elected in El Salvador who recently suspended constitutional rights and conducted over 30,000 arrests without warrant as part of a crackdown, supposedly, on gangs. In the past, Rodolfo has admired Bukele and even went to El Salvador with the hopes of meeting him last year, although Bukele rebuffed the offer at the time, leading a lot of people to worry that he might have authoritarian tendencies. A policy proposal by Rodolfo is amplifying some of these concerns. He believes that corruption is so deeply rooted in Colombian society and politics that the only way to eradicate it would be to declare what he calls a state of exception. This grants incredible powers to the presidency. And it's kind of a fuzzy concept about exactly what he means. To explain what a state of exception could mean under Colombian law and where the term comes from, we spoke with Adrian Alcema. He's the executive editor and owner of Columbia Reports.
0: A state of exception is a constitutional law concept that allows a president or a king to rule by decree without the intervention of Congress or Parliament. The concept was invented by Nazi jurist Carl Schmitt in 1921 to legitimize autocratic rule in Germany and it helped Hitler assume dictatorial powers in 1933. Schmidt's daughter translated the Nazis' works into Spanish in 1957 after she married a Spanish law professor who supported dictator Francisco Franco. The Spanish translations of Schmidt's works became popular in Colombia and among dictators in South America amid a surge of authoritarian regimes in the 1960s. A watered-down version of the State of Exception was formally introduced to Colombia's constitution in 1991. Before that the Colombian government would simply uphold an almost permanent state of siege. The Constitutional Court put major limits on the use of authoritarian powers in 2009 after former president Alvaro Uribe began abusing the State of Exception. Constitution currently allows any Colombian president to declare a state of exception whenever he or she pleases, but only for a maximum term of 90 days, instead of indefinitely as Schmidt originally wanted to.
2: Needless to say, Colombian media and the world have a lot of questions about exactly what Hernandez proposes when he talks about this state of exception. And they have a lot of questions about his other policies as well. Hernandez has declined to participate in debates against Gustavo Petro, um, citing divisiveness in Colombian society. Some commentators have equated this more with cowardice or just, he simply doesn't have the answers to these questions. Worries that he might be similar to Bukele in his approach to fighting corruption are not unfounded, but the truth is we just don't know what he's going to do. Uh, he's a very wild card candidate, and the more that I learn about him, I've spent the entire week listening to his speeches, reading about his time as mayor, and... I have no idea how he's going to actually govern. It's very clear, however, from the first round that Colombians do not want to maintain the status quo of the current administration and Urbismo. What kind of change they want, however, seems very much up for debate. At the moment, Hernandez re- leads Petro in the polls by about 2%. That's within the margin of error of most polls. And a lot of people are saying that it's gonna all come down to turnout. Will the right-wing voters who hate Petro be willing to sign on to a president who is shifting center-left? And will Petro's supporters, who he draws principally from the youth and protester movements, as well as residents of conflict areas here in Colombia, show up in numbers to vote? Right now, that's an open question, but we'll be following closely. Thank you for listening. Once again, we are Pirate Wire Radio. I am Joshua Collins. You can follow us on Twitter at Pirate underscore Wire or find us on Substack. We are independent journalism, and if you like what you hear, we very much appreciate it if you could take out a subscription on our Substack. Until then...
1: Gracias por escucharnos, piratas.
2: Be well, piratas.